As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Alistair, we're going to be talking about the final book in the trilogy, That Hideous Strength, before we start sort of diving into some of the detail, would you mind just giving us a little bit of a brief plot summary for that hideous strength? And just a reminder that there may be a couple of spoilers here and there. So do go and read the books yourselves. <laughs> well, it, it's one of those books that's actually very, very difficult to um, describe for the very simple reason that, that actually it's, it is so, so complex. And I think one of the key points that come out here is that Lewis is describing how, um, uh, in effect, a an institution for scientific research, NICE, the natural, National Institute for Coordinated Experimentation, is set up by mainly men, I have to say. That's quite an important point. We'll come back to that. Allegedly to um, promote scientific research that's going to be good for all of us. And we see some characters we are already familiar with um, involved in this. Um, we, have a, we have a kind of transition from the earlier narratives to this narrative. And as the narrative progresses, it becomes very, very clear that scientific experimentation is not purely neutral, it's not purely um, directed towards um, making people better, is actually really being directed towards a transformation of humanity, and there's a much darker agenda going on. And what Lewis is really trying to bring out in this complex, and at some point I have to say quite rambling work, is that um, scientific research is not simply about, um, in effect, uh, enabling the world to a better place, enabling us to cope better with it, but it's actually about the transformation of our world and ourselves in pursuit of a particular agenda. And a key point to bring out here is that Lewis had really raised these concerns in his earlier um, lectures given at the University of Newcastle, uh, which is the abolition of man. 
And what Lewis is really saying is that, in effect, it's all about how we control the natural world, control ourselves, and yet in trying to do this, we end up, in effect, denying our humanity. And that hideous strength is really a very elaborate and complex exploration of how, by, in effect, wanting to take control of the natural world, we end up damaging, even distorting ourselves as human beings. But it's a complex narrative, I have to say. It is my favourite, though. I think I've mentioned that before. Um, I know it's difficult, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> one thing that's that's perhaps not significant for the plot, but just a, a slight throwaway, the book is dedicated to Jay McNeil. Do we know who that is and why it's dedicated to her, Alistair? Well, we do, we do know who she was. This is um, Janie, or Jane, she was known, uh, McNeil. And Jane McNeil was actually a childhood friend of both Lewis and his best friend, Arthur Greaves. And um, she was actually the daughter of the headmaster of Campbell College in Belfast. And Lewis went to Campbell College briefly before going back to England. And Lewis and Greaves actually talk about her quite a lot in their correspondence. And they would regularly meet up as a threesome um, during Lewis's visits to Ireland. So that's the easy bit. Why yes. is the book dedicated to her? I'm not really quite sure. I mean, it may have been that she played a role in um, opening us up, or it may be that um, she helped either Greaves or Lewis, but I'm not quite clear. But that's who she was, and clearly she was significant enough to have that novel dedicated that to her. And in the preface, Lewis describes the book as a modern fairy tale for grown-ups. Do we know what he means by that? Yes, we do. And Lewis talks about this in a number of places. And one of the points he's trying to make is that we do think of fairy tales as being aimed at young people. And indeed, of course, the Chronicles of Narnia would be aimed at that social demography. But here, what Lewis is doing is, in effect, saying a fairy tale is a story that captures the imagination and at the same time is able to open up some deep intellectual and spiritual realities. And so what Lewis is really doing here is um, opening up some very deep questions by telling a story. But it's a rather, it's a rather disturbing story, <laughs> rather like some of the darker <laughs> Grimm's fairy tales, uh, where in effect evil and uh, things like that are brought into the narrative in a way that um, disturbs people. But actually, because it's a narrative, we feel we're able to keep going. And it's very much not for children. I would recommend this book. No, it's definitely not for children. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. 
That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. Um, we, we saw previously how much J.R.R. Tolkien and the Inklings as a whole really enjoyed Out of the Silent Planet. But has Lewis borrowed any ideas from Tolkien for this book, That Hideous Strength? Well, I think there are, there are a number of themes that emerge here. Um, one of them is uh, the capacity of evil to captivate, to take over individuals. And of course, that's a big theme in um, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, which is basically about how um, how the quest for power um, actually distorts and destroys people. And that's a very major theme um, for Tolkien. And of course, we need to bear in mind that Lewis and Tolkien talked a lot about the themes that we find expressed in The Lord of the Rings or at Hideous Strength um, in earlier periods. I think that helps us to understand one thing, which is that in um, in That Hideous Strength, um, Lewis talks about Numenor yeah. and says, well, if you understand what this is all about, you've got to read J.R.R. Tolkien, except Tolkien hasn't published these things yet. And actually, Tolkien... Um, pointed out that Lewis had misspelt Numenor <laughs> um, because he'd heard it being mentioned but hadn't actually quite realised how it ought to be spelled. Um, so basically, um, clearly, Numenor is there drawn from Tolkien and uh, expresses this idea of a, a distant land far to the west. Uh, but, um, but Lewis doesn't really follow through on it in quite the same way as you might expect. But I think it's clearly... Um, if you like, working out some of the themes which we find in The Lord of the Rings, but Lewis develops them in a different way in this long and complex novel. And do we know where the title That Hideous Strength came from? I think you touched on this in an earlier episode. Yes, I did. Lewis here picks up on um, uh, a piece of Renaissance medieval English literature which mentions that to refer to the Tower of Babel. And it's 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 a way of him expressing the, the fundamental idea that lies behind the Tower of Babel, which is the human capacity to take control, to redirect our narrative, and in effect build ourselves up so that we in effect become gods. That's the key theme. And Lewis actually, I think, picked on a rather good title there because that is certainly a major theme in this book. And do we know why this book is? based sort of pretty much predominantly on Earth, whereas the other two are on other planets. Is that significant? Was Lewis sort of purposefully doing that? Or is that just the way that the narrative emerged? Well, I think it's deliberate. I mean, you could argue that Lewis is simply saying, let's look at three planets. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that, that does become very, very clear is some of the themes that are explored in the earlier novels now become very significant right here on Earth. And I think because Lewis is now focusing on Earth, he really is able to give a certain concrete reality to people, to institutions, to events, which actually was much more difficult in um, the earlier books. I mean, for example, if you look at um, the first book in the series, the narrative is really very straightforward. In the Perilandra, it's rather more ethereal. Uh, but here in this third and final novel, is it's almost like a form of brutal realism where actually um, I think readers are very often shocked by the the way the narrative goes. And I'm sure that's what Lewis intended, but I have to say to you that a number of Lewis's critics say that Charles Williams really kind of way 
over-influenced Lewis as a result that this book became much, much longer than it really ought to have been. And also, if you look at how Perilandra ends, it's with the promise of a particular kind of sequel. I'm not so sure we really see that in the way in which um, that hideous strength actually gets worked out. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.